0: If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. And if that member listens to you, then you regained that one. If you're not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word can be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there among them. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace and peace be yours from Jesus, the one who reconciles us all. Amen. Those are some pretty hard hitting lessons. Go to the wicked, and if you don't, their blood's on your hands. Give it up. Treat one another in love. Put on armor. Do what Christ did. And now, well, just go and make things better. Every time I hear those kind of passages, I, I, I think of something Jesus said not once, but more than seven or eight times. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you just do them. Just do them. <laughs> wow. I think that's kind of the point of Sunday school, life passages. Uh, learn these things and now do them. Learn them and do them. It's not just that, but you know all nurture ministries, confirmation, one body, adult classes, small groups, If you know these things, and you do them, you'll be blessed. Now if you don't know them, or you don't do them, listen to what Kendrick Creasy Dean says in her book on Christian education, it's called Almost Christian. She says, the problem doesn't seem to be that churches are teaching young people badly, but that we're doing an exceedingly good job of teaching youth what we really believe. Namely, that Christianity is not that big a deal that God requires very little from them, that the church is a helpful institution filled with nice people focused primarily on helping folks like us, which of course begs the question of whether or not we're really the church or not. going to be a straightforward sermon today, uh, sharing with, with Tucker a little earlier, and he says, you've got a bad case of senioritis. <laughs> you kind of get that visiting prophet kind of thing going right now. It's like, what are you going to do, fire me? Straightforward today, practical, I hope, about knowing and then doing and on an issue that, frankly, every church struggles with. First, let's just admit that churches and church people, that would be us, we we get into conflicts. We are conflicted. I, I know of a congregation not that far from here that argued for 30 years about whether or not they should have air conditioning in the sanctuary. And by the time the argument was over, so was the congregation, Literally. Somewhere along the lines, somebody said that if I'm not going to get my way, this will be the last thing this congregation does. And he got his way, and it was the last thing they did. Churches get into conflicts. Um, take a moment right now. You remember Lord of Life Church or another church? Bring it, bring it home for you. Right now, put a, put a mental image of someone that you know in this community who's conflicted, who's upset, who's bothered by something. If you can't think of someone, you're probably in denial. And I can't read your mind. I'm not going to ask you to say anything about it to anyone, but I want it to be real today. I want you to have a mental picture of what we're talking about. This is not some pie-in-the-sky thing. This is how we live as the people of God. Someone who you know has been talking, complaining, always a bit at odds, in some hurt, in some pain. They want you to know you're upset, they want you to know that they're right, or whatever it is, otherwise you wouldn't even know about it. So take a minute and just put a mental picture there. And now let's go forward. Churches experience conflict because we're just composed of people, human beings, people. And we're created with the ability to choose, to make choices. And we do that in a flawed kind of way. We, we regularly choose self over God, self over our neighbor, self over the community. And because of that, because we do that, because we make those kind of choices, we're prone to conflict. I want this, you want that. Okay. And if either one of us is not willing to budge, not willing to listen to the other, not willing to let God intervene, and we insist on my way is the only way, a conflict's going to emerge. And healthy churches learn to resolve those conflicts. If you or I, or the person that you've got mentally up here, continue to stubbornly refuse to practice what Jesus bluntly teaches his disciples in his teaching, then the conflict gets worse. It escalates like a hurricane taken on water. And unresolved conflicts kill churches siphons critical time and energy away from what we should be doing, our central mission of reaching out with the love of God to the world. And instead, we're dealing with things that we're not really wanting to deal with anyway. Which is exactly why Jesus tells his disciples, there's a better way to handle this. There's more important things to be doing, but you can't do them if you don't deal with conflict straight on. So I suspect I've got your attention, especially if you're studying to be a pastor. You feel someone's wronged you. It doesn't matter how or why or who. It really doesn't for the sake of our discussion. But you just feel hurt. You just feel bothered. This is not right. And you can't quite let go of it. The first advice that Jesus gives is to understand what those feelings are. Uh, if necessary, go into a room and tell yourself what it is that you're feeling. Let that be your first step. Sometimes we don't even know what it is that we're feeling. We just know that something is not right. And we're conditioned in the church to bury those feelings. Oh, that's you no—that's know, not that big a thing. I really shouldn't bring that up. I should just be taking my cross. We're conditioned in the church to think also that leaders and pastors and servants of Jesus and anybody who truly loves Jesus—they don't really have feelings. But we do. We all have feelings. And sometimes just saying it out loud or writing it down helps clarify what it is that's really bothering you. And, and that's the important step because sometimes that solves everything right then and there. If you think someone has sinned against you, Jesus begins. If you think it, if you feel it, that someone has sinned against you. Second, he says, once you know, once you know it is that you feel and you think, go to that person. Go to him or her personally. Just you and that person. Anything less is what uh, Bill Savage calls turtling. Uh, he describes someone who can't, who, who will not uh, put into words what's really bothering them. He calls them turtles. Um, they keep all of these hurts and all these pains deep inside of them. And they think that it doesn't come out, but it's always coming out in some kind of way. But it's always inside their shell. And when you ask them, is everything okay? Is there something bothering you? Even though you know they might have been telling somebody else. Their answer will be, no. Are you sure? Yeah, they say. You can almost hear the, the echo in the turtle shell. If you've got a problem with a person, and you know it, you've worked through what it is, Jesus calls you to go and talk to him or her first. Uh, don't go calling names. Don't go hurling insults. Know what it is that's hurt you. Tell the person use I statements, all those kind of things. Now, this is really tough stuff, and I know it is. It's really hard. Um, It's emotionally difficult to tell someone that they've hurt us, and so we usually just don't. We usually just bury it, and that's unfortunate in a place that claims that we live in a redeemed and forgiven state, and yet the hurt is so intense that the feelings well up inside of us sometimes like a a can of pop until suddenly they just kind of explode and on everyone, and often on those we love the most. So Jesus says, go and, and point out the fault. Don't blast it out there on Facebook. Don't send an email copying everybody you know. Don't write an anonymous letter. Just go and point out the fault. And then, third, if, if that doesn't work, if you had a one-to-one conversation in love, if that fails to resolve things, then Jesus counsels us to go get the wisdom of one or two other wise elders, not, not, not people I already know agree with me, <laughs> but two or three other wise elders in the church. And the irony is that there, there are people in, that are willing to share dirty linen all over the place, but when asked to sit down and talk about it with an elder in the church, cannot, will not. Old rabbis used to have this saying judge not alone. Because only God can judge alone. But I already know what I think. I've already prayed about it. I know that I'm right. It misses the real power behind the promise of Jesus that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of that situation. And misses the power of the wisdom of Jesus. Why do we have life passages? Why do we have confirmation? Why do we have classes? Why small groups? Family? Why do we even have church? Why do we have a seminary? Can't I just feel called from God and go it on myself? Because none of us knows it all. None of us. All of us are flawed. All of us are in conflict. And wherever two or three of us conflicted folks gather in Christ's name, Christ is there in the middle of it. And what if that doesn't work? What if I did all that? That doesn't work. That, I think, is really our biggest worry. Um, You know, I do all these steps, Pastor, and, you know, it still might not work. I know, I know. Identified the issue. I talked to the person. I sought out the counsel, and still it's an issue. So what happens next? According to Jesus... We are to tell it to the church. I presume it doesn't mean the newsletter. <laughs> tell it to the church. When I wrote that down, I really had this weird thing that someone might stand up right now and say, "I'm so glad you said that, Pastor," because I want to talk right now about. Then I realized that we were Lutherans. <laughs> That's a really good question. What What if all of that happened? And what if someone really did bring it to the church? how would you respond if someone brings a problem to the church to you as part of the church or you know that there's a problem in the church how do you respond so what if we bring it to the church and still can't get it resolved frankly does i don't think there's anybody here who knows an example where all those steps actually happen and it still ended up that way If you can verbalize your feelings, if you can discuss them face-to-face with the other person non-judgmentally and lovingly as Christ commands, if we're open enough to seek the wise counsel of a church elder and accept that counsel, if we can talk about our problems openly in the fellowship of the church, if we can do all of that, as Paul says today, in love, it's, it's extremely rare, extremely rare that we'll ever need to get to a fifth step. But if we do... It's, it's there. If you've not been able to reconcile, you went to them and seeking it, not revenge, not getting your own way, but seeking reconciliation, and the faith community has abdicated you of responsibility, that is, that you're not the problem, and you yourself are accepting the wisdom and the leadership of the church. Jesus' culminating advice is let them be as a Gentile and a tax collector to you. So how does Jesus treat tax collectors and Gentiles? Never judgmentally. Never rudely. Never passive-aggressively. He welcomed them. He included them. He ate with them. He loved them. He died for them. He rose for them what patience and what prayer it would take for a Christian community to confront a brother or a sister and if necessary, tell them that you're wrong and yet still view them and treat them with the extravagant, radical, relentless love of God. Now back to that person that you had in your mind earlier today. It's a dangerous thing to be pulling an image up like that. Um, and I don't want to let it just sit there. The one, the one you know has some kind of problem, the one that you know is stewing in some kind of hurt or some kind of stubbornness, I want to just, as a church, just take a moment right now, all of us together, and just lift that person up in prayer and in love, and ask God to show them a better way today. don't you hope everyone's not praying about you? (laughs) Think about that for a while. This reading calls for us to take the log out of our own eye before we take the splinter out of our neighbor's eyes. If there's even a chance that I have not been practicing the way of Jesus, that I've been talking about rather than with, that I've been unwilling to accept the counsel and the authority of others in the church. Today is the day that the word speaks to me, to me. So what do you have to lose? Well, a lot. You can spend the rest of your life bearing a grudge. You spend the rest of your life living in some kind of cesspool of hurt and misplaced anger. You can risk being right and alienated. You can be destructive in every community you're part of. Or, on the other hand, what do you have to gain? Well, that's everything. You can shed the pain, the burden of conflict. You can live free from guilt. You can experience the love of God. You can experience reconciliation. You can live peacefully with your neighbors. You can love the world. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, that's what you have to gain, can come right now to you. Speaking about as straightforward as I can today, why why do we need Sunday school? Why why do we need small groups? Why do we need to grow? Because it's hard to know and to do the things that bless us. You have nothing to lose. You have everything to gain. May the Holy Spirit help us settle our conflicts with the tools that God has given us. Help us, O God. Help us to both know and do what you have taught us. Right. Amen.